come, let us worship him. I love the way that that video clip just kind of spells out the passage that we're going to be looking at today, that we do come today to worship the one who holds it all together, the one who is the center of it all. As Mel mentioned just a little bit ago, we're in this um, series on Colossians. Um, We're in the third week now, and we're still in the first chapter because there's so much good stuff in this passage of Scripture that we can dive through and pull apart and and dig into. And I particularly love this passage that we're going to be looking at today, the one that this video clip just summarized for us. And one of the pieces of this passage that we're looking at today that just really kind of grips me is it talks about how God created through Jesus, all things. And all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus and in Jesus, and he holds everything together. And I love just the imagery of that. And I was thinking about that this week as I realized that sometimes I feel like I have a lot of trouble holding things together. Anyone else relate? I know one day this week I was heading into the office and I have this really big backpack that I carry. And it's the subject of much mockery among the office staff, as a matter of fact, because I'm only part-time hours in the office, so I do a lot back and forth from home. So I've always got all these books and stuff, and I'm a book-in-my-hand kind of girl, not electronic book. So my backpack's always full with all these books. It weighs 1,000 pounds, and I'm always being mocked for this huge backpack that I carry. So I got my big old backpack on my back. And that particular day, I was also bringing in um, a meal for someone. So I had this box that was full of food. I also had a bag of clothes that I needed to bring in for someone that day. I had my purse on my other shoulder and, of course, my Minnie Mouse lunchbox because my 8-year-old is now too cool to carry a Minnie Mouse lunchbox. So therefore, it's now my my lunchbox and I'm cool enough to handle Minnie Mouse. So anyway, I was carrying all of this stuff. I'm holding it all, and I'm balancing this box. I've got this big old backpack back here, my purse, this bag of clothes, my lunchbox, you know, doing this whole thing. And I get up to the office door, and I'm like, got one pinky left with which to open the door. And you're testing this, the strength of your pinky, right? Because, you know, get to a pinky and see if I can have enough strength in my pinky to pull the door open. Once you know what, the door is locked. Ah, so I got to find my keys, which are in my purse. I'm still trying to balance everything and reaching around, trying to get my keys, balance this thing. And of course, what happens? The balance of the backpack that was on my back started to shift, and the backpack swung over, and everything just went flying. I'm like, ah, if I were a cursing woman, I would have been cursing just then. (laughs) Because it just was all like you couldn't keep it together. And I was thinking about that and how often life kind of feels like that for us, doesn't it? We've got all this stuff that we're juggling, or we've got something really heavy that we're carrying, and we're using all the strength that we have left in our little pinky finger to try to get towards the next thing, and just one little shift in balance, and it all seems like it tumbles apart. Anyone else relate to that feeling at all? Okay, three of you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad this will relate to lots of people today. Um, But I think we all know what that feeling feels like. And I remember thinking, I just had something to hold it together. And I think that's the beauty of this passage that we're going to be looking at today is because the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Colossians, is pointing us back to the one who holds it all together. He's pointing us back to this, this central person, the center of it all, Jesus Christ, who holds everything together, kind of this centrifugal or is it centripetal? Any science guys out there? Which is the force that pulls in? One pulls out, one comes in. Anyone? Centripetal, centrifugal? Centrifugal? Okay, very good. Centrifugal, I should have looked that up before I got here, I guess. The centrifugal force that pulls everything together to the center. And that one 
holding force, sustaining force, kind of the rebar, the framework, the structure of life itself is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying in this passage here today. And we're going to kind of look at a little bit of the theology of that today and just hopefully gain a bigger understanding of Jesus as the one who is the center of it all, who holds it all together. So you can pull your outline out of your program guide if you haven't already done that. We're going to look at who Jesus is today, and we're going to start by looking at Jesus as the one who holds it all together, who holds it all together. I want you to listen to the beginning of this passage that we're looking at today, Colossians 1, beginning in verse um, 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. It's a pretty powerful statement that Paul is making here about who Christ is. As a matter of fact, in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul is making what I believe to be probably one of the strongest claims of Christianity that exists anywhere in the Bible, because Paul is saying here, not only is Jesus equal to God, he is saying Jesus is God. That's a powerful claim. He's saying Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is God, not just an icon, not just a symbol, not just a representation, but the actual personification of God himself in Jesus Christ. And so if we have any questions about who Jesus is, this passage kind of clears it up for us because Paul makes it really, really clear. And these few verses, these four verses right here that we're looking at, are really what the core of Christianity is about and what separates Christianity from almost any other world religion. Because in almost every other world religion, it's it's founded by a man who was a prophet of God, who was a, a spokesman for God, who was someone coming in the name of God. No other major world religion says that their key person was himself God. This is a huge distinguishing factor from Christianity and any other religion. And so when we look at these words that Paul is giving us here, that God is giving us about who he is, it's a powerful picture. And it paints a picture of Jesus that is higher and loftier and bigger than most of us can begin to understand. It's a huge picture. It goes beyond an easy understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is. It goes way beyond what is simple for us to process and just see him as a man. There's something bigger, this God-man, this influx of, of this interaction between God and humanity as Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, Jesus is more than just a man who was like God. He was God. And so when we think of this person of Jesus Christ, and so often in our minds we think of him as You know what we see on the movies? You know, he's the guy walking around in the tunic, maybe a nice little sash going on. Always a British accent. Don't quite get that. But British accent speaking Jesus. And we have this picture of him in in our minds. And yet, this is the same man who was God 
himself. Scripture paints a picture of this God-man who was all-powerful, who was fully God, who can hold all things together. Why? Because he's God. He's the one who actually has the chops to pull it off, (laughs) to hold all things together. And yet I feel like so often we miss it, don't we? We miss being able to really embrace a God who holds it all together. And I think often we miss it because in our minds, we kind of diminish a little bit of who Jesus is. And then we wonder, we get discouraged. Why does it not feel like Jesus is holding it together for me? I think because sometimes we miss this picture that Paul is trying to give to us. If we listen to the culture around us, they're really good at watering down who Jesus is. Because if the world is right about Jesus, what our culture says about Jesus, then Jesus is just another choice on the buffet line of world religions, right? You can have a little slice of Jesus. You can have a little dollop of Buddha. You can have a little Muhammad, maybe a little Hare Krishna in there. You can just pick and choose, kind of tailor your own spirituality according to the pieces that you like best. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Let's put it together in a package that feels good for me, that works good for me. And we've diminished the person that Jesus is. Jesus becomes merely a a good man who might have been a moral teacher, good prophet. Maybe he gave us a good role model or some words of wisdom to live by. And there's a lot of really good principles there. But at the end of the day, If we listen to what the world tells us and what sometimes we do in our own hearts, Jesus just becomes another prophet, another good guy. Sometimes we miss the one who holds it all together because we miss the picture of who Jesus really is. And there are subtle ways that it creeps into our thinking, right? Subtle ways, the way that we start to absorb the message of the culture around us that says, eh, he's just a a self-help guru, someone that I can turn to time and again. And Paul's saying, no, you got to get this. He is so much more. And it is so important that we get our view of Jesus right because how we view Jesus informs the rest of our spirituality. Everything in our life hinges on what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. Our salvation hinges on what we do with the person of Jesus Christ because if Jesus was just a man, if he was diminished to something less than, then his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, would not have the power to actually bring redemption and salvation. The rest of our spirituality hinges on what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. And I think this is why Paul is so adamant as he's writing to the Colossians. He wants them to get this. Like, you cannot diminish who Jesus is. You cannot water him down. You need to have a picture of who he is. And that's what was happening in Colossian, in, in the Colossian church at that point. The culture around them was watering Jesus down. Well, he wasn't everything that they're saying that he was. And you can have some of this Jesus stuff, but to be on the safe side, you should have Jesus and this other philosophy, Jesus and this other God. You should have a little bit of Jesus and this other prayer that we pray. And and maybe you want to go to this temple for a little while, and maybe just to make sure all your bases are covered, you want to have all of these pieces woven in together. That's the message that the church in in, in Colossae was, was facing. 
And I think about that and I think, wow, it's not so different from what we face today, right? We have the same thing that's coming at us. And I firmly believe that if someone, if the enemy wants to lead us away from God, the first thing he's going to do is mess with our understanding of who Jesus is. And so we get these people that show up at our front door and they start saying, well, you know what? Jesus is a good guy and all, but it's not the only way. The people that travel from door to door and want to give you that message or you're watching something on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel and they're explaining away the miracles of Jesus Christ and the thinking starts to come in, okay, well, maybe Jesus and science. Maybe Jesus and this other thing. Well, and that works for them, and this works for me, so maybe there's not just one way to get to God. And you hear people that say, Jesus was a great philosopher, but, you know, he's just, he's not everything. You've got to broaden your horizons a little bit. You've got to broaden your thinking a little bit. Have you heard those messages from people? And it starts to creep into our souls. And we start to absorb those messages when we're not coming back and coming back to what God says who Jesus is, saying he is the supreme one over all creation. We diminish the person of Jesus. And again, this is why Paul was writing in Colossians. He wants to make it clear who Jesus is. More than a prophet, more than a teacher, more than a good guy, more than just someone who makes sense more than just uh, someone who's going to help you along when life gets hard, more than a philosopher, more than just an example. Jesus is God himself, the creator, the sustainer, the giver of life, the rescuer, the redeemer, the one who sits in the throne room of God. And Revelation gives us a picture of what that looks like. That he sits in the throne room of God and there's this crystal sea and there's lightning that flashes and there's thunder that booms and there's all these crazy, wacky, terrifying and beautiful creatures that surround him day and night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And for all eternity, that is their sole purpose, is to worship this one who sits on the throne. This is Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is telling us here. Jesus is that one who sits on the throne in his power, in his majesty, in his strength. And the thing that I think blows me away the most about all of this, though. The thing that so completely overwhelms me when I start to try to take it in, because I don't think my mind will ever be able to fully get it, but when I try to take it in, the thing that overwhelms me the most is that the same God who is full of majesty and full of holiness and full of power and purity and righteousness and feels so far away and so distant in some ways is the same God who came near, the same God who walked this earth with flesh and blood on, the same God who was willing to join the brokenness, the same God who is intimate and near, the same God who comes to us in the common and the ordinary and the everyday. You see, he's not just majesty, and he's not just humanity. In the way that God only can do it, he is both that comes together. And I think often we want to see him as one or the other. We have the camps of people that Jesus is my best friend, and 
this is all that he is. He can't be anything more than just this really personal lover of my soul. And he is that. But then you have this other camp that's over here and says, well, Jesus, you can't diminish him to that. He is this high, holy, never going to be able to touch him kind of person because he is God. And that is true. And we keep wanting to do this either or. Jesus has to be this or he has to be that. And I think what Paul is trying to get us to understand here in this passage is that he's not either or. He is both and. He comes together as the beginning and the end. When the Bible talks about God, it talks about God as being the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the full spectrum of all that is. And so things that sometimes seem like a contradiction aren't a contradiction at all. It's just a completion of the entirety of the spectrum. How can God be mercy and justice at the same time? Don't they contradict? No, they don't contradict. They're the full completion of the entire spectrum of what that is. How can God be humanity and holiness at the same time? Isn't that a contradiction? No, it's a full completion of who God is. He is both and he completes all that is and he holds it together. Do you get it? (laughs) How he holds it together. There's a guy named Louis Giglio who's done a lot of research and and study. He's a worship pastor, um, and he did this whole bit on the the majesty of God, and he did all of this um, research into, like, the universe and the cosmos and the vast expanse of that and how God interacts with that. And then he also turned it, and he started looking at God in the intricacy and the intimacy in the the microbiology of our lives. And so I have a little clip um, that I would like to show you this morning that talks about Jesus as this one who holds it together, holds the world, holds us together at both ends of this spectrum. So let's take a look. The tour was winding down. Last time around, we were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walks up to me. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. Says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down. Uh, Where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool. What are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God in the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk. For a molecular biologist. So I kind of stumbled through what I had, and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like, uh-huh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? You got to have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie, oh, man, your left hook is laminin. And I'm, I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule, protein molecule. Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like, 
All right. He said, no, Louis. It's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louis. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. I'm like, okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. (laughs) Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like, That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! (laughs) I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. (laughs) You should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. How crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this, it's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And he goes on at the end of this paragraph and he just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. 
It's laminin. <laughs> at the core of the universe, at the core of the places that hold us together, there's a cross. And I guess that's the question that we all want to know. It's what is really holding me together, right? What is holding me together? And I believe that there is a cross that holds us all together in the intricacy of our body. And there's a cross that is placed in history. And we live in the shadow of it. And it's what holds everything together. There's a cross standing over history, and there's a place where the the star breather became the sin bearer. The place where the universe maker became the cross taker. And because of that, he holds everything together. There are a million little crosses holding your body together right now, and there is one big cross that holds together today and eternity. And I want us to sit with that for just a minute this morning. I want us to come back to this verse from Colossians again and just take a moment to listen to it again, maybe with fresh ears. Really listening for what God has to say to you in who Jesus is as the one who holds it together. So if you would, if you just close your eyes for a minute and take a big breath. Still your body, still your thoughts. And then just listen to this verse one more time. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made all things that we can see and the things that we can't see, the kings and the kingdoms and the rulers and the authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began, and he holds all creation together. Just sit in that for just a couple of seconds. How is he holding you together today? Jesus, we praise you as the one who holds us together in the fiber of our being, in the loftiness of the universe. Teach us, God, today how to hold both and of who you are. We love you. Amen. So Jesus is the one who holds us together. He's also the one who reconciles me to God. Reconciles me to God. This passage in Colossians continues, and it says in um, verse 19, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. 
He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Okay, so there is so, so much in these few short little words that we could dive into. So let's just pick just a couple little pieces of it apart. But it says, for God in all his fullness, in all his fullness, what we talked about in point one, the fullness of the God in the throne room, the fullness in the God of majesty and holiness, in all of his fullness, he was pleased to live in Christ. Pleased, not just willing, not just able, he was pleased to live in Christ, pleased to confine himself to a human body. Do you understand the sacrifice that that would have been for a God who lived in that place of holiness to confine himself, limit himself to a human experience, and that he was pleased to do it, that he was pleased to experience humanity with us, was pleased to walk in the middle of this broken and messed up world. Why? So that he could bring peace. Somehow, God in his majesty and his holiness and his greatness in his love saw the beauty in the story of redemption. Saw the beauty in the way that he could come and make peace with us. Peace in all of the things that had been broken. He wanted to reconcile himself to us. He wanted to draw us to himself. He wanted to live in us. He wants us to live in him. He wants this relationship. It pleased him to live in Christ and to reconcile all things through him. Not because of our performance, not because of our abilities, not because we brought so much in return, but because of our brokenness. It pleased him. And when I stop to think about that, it almost completely blows me away that God was pleased to live in us, to reconcile, to draw in. I think if we're honest, we would all admit that probably most of the time we spend most of our lives pushing away more than pulling in. Most of our lives trying to protect or defend or keep safe. And so that means we ought to push out a little bit, right? That's what our natural broken state wants to do. There's a social theory that's called mimemic theory. Has anyone ever heard of mimemic theory? Okay, I'm alone here. I'll explain it quickly. Um, There's a a social theory called mimemic theory, and very briefly encapsulated, what mimemic theory says is that we define ourselves more by what we are not than what we are. So any social group Um, In that social group, the energy is directed at pushing people out because it keeps the group that you're in safe. In order for me to have an identity in this group that I'm in, it means there needs to be people outside of my group. Okay, so the energy of the identity, instead of drawing inward, and this is what I am, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, it becomes identified more as a pushing away. I need someone to be the scapegoat. I need someone to be pushed to the margins in order for me to have a security of knowing my identity as part of this group. My group cannot exist without those out there that are not like me. Okay, you follow that? And I realize how very guilty we are of doing that. We push away. And then God takes this whole idea of this brokenness that we do, where we do this pushing away, and he turns it all the way upside on its head, and he says, this isn't about a pushing away. 
This isn't about me drawing in. This is about coming back to the core, coming back to the center. I'm not about pushing away. I am about drawing in. And so if you need a scapegoat in order for me to draw you in, then I will be that scapegoat for you. That's what God is saying through Jesus Christ. I will be the scapegoat. I will be the one that you push away. I will be the one that you deny. I will be the one that you, you beat, that you hang on a cross. I will be the one that you ignore. I will be the one that gets pushed to the outside, that gets pushed to the margins. I will be all of those things. I will be the one who bears your hurting. I will be the one who is there when there is nothing that you have to offer. I will be those things so that I can draw you in, so I can show you another way, so that I can show you peace and redemption. Through my death, I will bring you in. Do you hear what is so profoundly beautiful about that? I've been wrestling with something lately. I've been wrestling with something really hard lately. And I'm not ready to share what that thing is publicly yet, and I don't know that I ever will. Some things just aren't for public consumption. But I will tell you that this is probably one of the most deep, one of the most raw, one of the most anger-inducing things that I have ever had to wrestle with, that I've ever struggled with. There's something inside of me that feels very, very broken, very confused, very just trying to make sense of it. And it's hard. And I've been wrestling through it and trying to figure out, God, where are you in this? And last weekend I was here in church, sitting in that chair, right there. And we sang this song, This is Amazing Grace. And there's a line in that song that says, You laid down your life so that I can be set free. And when we sang those words last week, they just caught me. And I didn't even know why at first. Like, why is this phrase, like, it just, it's resonating. It's coming back. It's over and over. Like, you laid down your life so I could be set free. And it wouldn't leave me alone for the next couple of days, just kept coming back. And finally, like, all right, all right, I know there's going to be something that you are trying to tell me through this. And so I went for a walk the other night, and I was just asking God, what is it? Like, you know when you get those, those feelings that are just on the tip of your brain or on the tip of your mind, you're like, I know there's something for me in this, and I just can't put my hands on it. So I was on this walk, I'm like, God, what is it? You laid down your life so I will be set free. Yeah, I get it. I got it. Decades, I've been preaching it. Like, I get it. It's like, no, you don't understand. I laid down my life this. For this thing that I'm struggling with right now, this is what I laid my life down for. I didn't lay it down for the part where it's pretty afterwards. I laid it down for the middle of this thing, for the middle of the pain, for the middle of the hurt, for the middle of the ugliness, for the middle of the place where you find yourself right now, where sometimes you're just strong-arming, not even sure that you want to get this up on the altar. In that, I laid my life down. This is what I've laid it down for. In the middle of the swirling, in the middle of when you don't feel like you can get away out, this is what I laid my life down for. I'm like, yeah, okay, God, okay. Thank you 
But you say you laid your life down so I could be set free. So where is the, where's the freedom in this? It doesn't feel like freedom right now. He's like, you still don't get it, do you? I'm like, no, I'm pretty dumb. <laughs> I still don't get it. It's like the freedom for you is that this thing doesn't define you. It's not the core of who you are. You are free in the center of who you are because I have redeemed you. And it may storm around you, but in the center of who you are, you are free. You can have confidence in that. There is nothing that will ever change who you are in me. I have come so not just that you will be free from this, but that you will be free in this. There is a core and an identity that can never be taken away. You are free. You will not be bound by this. You may still need to struggle. You may still need to process. You may still need to hurt. But in the midst of it all, in the center of it all, you are free. And so I think that's why when I was studying this verse, this passage for the message this weekend, the next part of this passage just completely ruined me says this. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you, reconciled you, made right, redeemed, to himself through the death of Christ you laid down your life the death of Christ in his physical body and as a result he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless the core of who you are as you stand before him without a single fault. My friends, this is what the cross of Christ is. This is what it's about. This is what's at the center, at the core. Even though we were enemies, even though we were far away, through the death of the one who is perfect, the death of the one who is majesty, the death of the one who is holiness, the death of the one who is really to come, willing to come in the middle of this. Through him, I have been made holy and blameless and free. He invites each of us to come to him. He invites each of us to find freedom there. To find freedom through his death on the cross. And so we're going to take communion now. I'm going to invite you during the next song to come up to the front. Communion is here. And today we're going to do it a little differently in that I don't want you to just take it and go back to your seat to wait for us to eat it together, but I want it to be a personal moment between you and Jesus this morning. So you can come 
You can take the cup. You can take the bread. You can stand here at the table and eat it. You can go kneel at the cross and take it at the foot of the cross. You can go to your chair and kneel at your chair. You can go take a walk for all I care. But make it a moment where you see who Jesus is. As you approach the table, see him as the one who is holy and majestic. And then as you take the bread and the cup, see him as the one who is humanity, the one who is loving and intimate, and see how through that bread and through that cup, the two came together so that you would be set free. Let's pray together. Father God, we do worship you today as a God who is beyond any simple understanding that we could possibly fathom. You are beyond us. You are above us. And at the same time today, God, we worship you as the God who came near. And we are on our faces before you today, worshiping who you are. Thank you, Jesus for the body that was broken, for the blood that was poured out. Thank you that you gave every last thing that you possibly had to give. Thank you for leaving your place in majesty and glory to become a man. Thank you that even in this life you gave everything. There was nothing more you could have given and you poured it out for us. Thank you. And in these next few moments, Jesus, we want to worship you and invite you to be the center, the thing that holds us together. We worship you. Amen.